Hello, welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me at livetoone110.com. And you can find this video podcast on the corresponding blog post on the website and on the YouTube channel at Wendy Live to 110. I am so excited. Today we have Donna Gates on the podcast. Uh, I met her at the Bulletproof Biohackers Conference. We were both speaking there, and I have admired her for so long. Uh, she, her health book is one of the first books that I read, The Body Ecology Diet, and she has helped uh, so many people, thousands if not millions of people in her 20-plus years in the health field. And we're going to be talking today about gut health and the importance of having a healthy inner ecosystem and we'll be talking about her new cookbook, Body Ecology Living Cookbook. I'm excited for that one. I'm sure there's going to be lots of fermented food recipes in the cookbook. She's very famous for that, for getting people to eat fermented foods to increase the amount of healthy bacteria they have in their gut. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment today that we suggest on the show. I am so excited. Also, I'm always excited uh, to announce my new online health program called Body Bio Rehab. You can sign up to learn more about it when it launches at bodybiorehab.com. We're uh, hoping for a launch date of May 1st. It's always more work than you think putting something like this together. And I like to make sure that it's perfect uh, because I want you to have all the information that you need to improve your health. A program like this is very important to learn the basics of health. We're going to be talking about diet, exercise, uh, lifestyle components like like sleep, uh, improving your sleep hygiene, uh, reducing stress, and of course, my favorite, detox. These are all the five components that are essential for you to live a healthy lifestyle and to reverse disease and eliminate health symptoms and to improve your energy and to improve your libido and get your mojo back, uh, to reduce brain fog. You have to follow these five pillars that I talk about in this program. So go sign up at bodybiorehab.com and I hope you enjoy it. Our guest, Donna Gates, is our guest today. She's an international best-selling author of The Body Ecology Diet, Recovering Your Health and Rebuilding Your Immunity. She is also author of The Body Ecology Guide to Growing Younger, Anti-Aging Wisdom for Every Generation, and another book called Stevia, Cooking with Nature's Calorie-Free Sweetener. She's an advanced fellow with the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, and she is on a mission to change the way the world eats. The Body Ecology Diet was the first of its kind, a sugar-free, gluten-free, casein-free, and probiotic-rich diet. In 1994, Donna introduced a natural sweetener, Stevia, to the U.S. and began teaching about fermented foods and coined the phrase inner ecosystem to describe the network of microbes that maintains our basic physiological processes from digestion to immunity. Over the past 25 years, Donna has become one of the most respected authorities in the field of digestive health, diet, and nutrition. She's a recognized radio host of the Body Ecology Hour with Donna Gates on Hay House Radio, and Donna regularly contributes to the Huffington Post, the Daily Love, and lectures at the I Can Do It Conference, the Longevity Now Conference, and Women's Wellness Conference. And I'm so happy she brought Stevia to the U.S. because I use it every single day. It's my favorite sweetener. Donna, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me here. Well, you know, I love doing talks like this. I love to share information. Oh, yeah. And I'm so happy you came on the show. I'm so honored. It was such a, a thrill to meet you in person at the Bulletproof Biohackers Conference where we were both speaking. Yes, yes, yes. So Dinner. why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, you know, and how you got into the health field? You're, you know, one of the greats. You've been doing this for so long and you brought st- the first person to bring Stevie into the United States, which I'm very thankful for. <laughs> but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I feel like I've told this story so many times. It's boring, but um, I was sick, like lots of people that get into this work. And I just started trying to figure out what, how to get well. So I tried everything, macrobiotics for eight years. I did raw food. I did a proper you know, natural hygiene. And I took vast amounts of supplements at times. Like when I realized I had, must have had $1,000 worth of supplements in my cabinet one month. 
And, you know, you know, I learned a lot of stuff, but and some things were valuable and some things weren't, and I wasn't getting well. And then um, I certainly did learn a lot of stuff that, that was important. And I studied Chinese medicine, and I, trained, I started off for a year to be an acupuncturist. I thought I might want to do that. But I didn't because uh, I realized that, you know, just going and getting all your meridians open and balanced for the moment they're going to, they will just block right back up again as soon as you uh, start, if you're not eating right uh, or you're under a lot of stress, for example. So I kept looking for answers. And then, you know, I guess the universe smiles down on you sometimes because maybe after all that effort, um, I began to find answers. I met Dr. William Crook, and he had just literally written the East Connection, and it was his debut at um, something called the Natural Products Expo, uh, which has been going on for years since then. But he was, um, you know, launching his book, and I um, actually got him all alone to myself out by the fountain out in the lobby, and we just sat there for about 20 minutes and talked, and I was really, I just knew that this was it, that it was something important here. So I um, brought his book home, and, you know, I, I um, really had by this time known a lot. I've been macrobiotic, as I said, for eight years. I went to Japan and studied uh, a very high level of uh, healing over there called Kaiseke. And I studied with Lima Asawa, who started the macrobiotic movement. And so I, you know, I knew that food was medicine. I knew a lot about that. And when I tried Dr. Cook's diet, it wasn't accurate enough, but it made me realize that, um, that I was going to, or I decided that I just start from scratch. Like, here's this condition. I think everybody has that. I should, I definitely did. Cause I started taking 15, uh, at the age of 15, I took antibiotics because my skin broke out. And then right after that, they started uh, prescribing um, birth control pills, really super strong ones. Those women, if they have the genes for um, diabetes, which I, I mean, not diabetes, but breast cancer, which I do, uh, I have the genes for both of those, unfortunately, but um, I'm never at risk at that because I know how to keep those genes silent. But nevertheless, people that were on those real high-dose uh, amount of birth control pill. Most of them have died by now because they uh, they were just too high and they got cancer. And birth but control pills cause, they cause candida also, right? They cause systemic candida. Well, that, that's really what began to happen. The antibiotics and the birth control pills together caused yeast overgrowth. And of course, no, it would be many years from that age to when I finally met Dr. Crook in my I don't know, maybe I was like forty or something. <laughs> When I met him and I um, knew there was something here. So I put all the information I had together and I started creating what became Buddy Ecology. And then as I learned and put things together, people started showing up around me all the time. People that look fine, but they were sick. And, and what I suggested they do was working. So I just kept perfecting it. Buddy Ecology has been around now for about 24 years, I guess. And, uh, you know, so I've continued to perfect it over time and it's evolved as more of my understanding has come about. For example, candidiasis, which I remember Dr. Cook saying, we don't think there's a cure for it. And I was naive enough to say, oh, yes, there has to be. But, you know, I would actually go back to uh, agree with him now because it never goes away. It's in your body. And very, it's very, very easy to turn uh, candidiasis into a very pathogenic infection. But people don't understand, including doctors, because they if they see from testing that the person has yeast overgrowth, they immediately go to a drug like Nystatin, which is safer than some of the others. But it's just suppressing the symptoms. So the person isn't really dealing with infection. You're not getting to the root cause. You're not really overcoming that infection, uh, bringing it under control. And that's what we do. But, um, you know, it's just a, such a serious condition that... Um, these yeasts are secreting toxins all the time. Uh, acetaldehyde, which interferes with your brain, it interferes with your thyroid function, so you don't convert uh, the thyroid hormone T4 into T3, which is the active form that gets into the cell and gives your cell, every cell in the body uses T3 for energy. So that's not happening if you have yeast, and many, many, many things. I won't spend time on that, but um, I, I children are born with it since about... Uh, people that are about 50 and under were uh, most likely born with it if they were born in this country and uh, maybe some underdeveloped country where they didn't use a lot of antibiotics wouldn't have it, but our kids have for long generations now. 
And every single child with autism is born with a yeast infection, and it's something uh, you need to know when you have a baby that your child will be born with one, and you need to help overcome that and build the immune system, and that's where the gut comes in. So the way the whole thing just evolved was I look back now and realize there was some sort of force or power behind the way things unfolded. And as we needed things, they were uh, I would be see, begin to see things that other people hadn't noticed before, like this thing that we call the gut microbiome back in those days, 20 years ago, was not in anybody's radar screen, and there was no terminology for it. So... I, uh, I had to, you know, I began to understand that, wow, we have this world living inside our gut and it's really important and it does things for us. And then I had to figure out what it did and try to find pieces of information and connect all these dots. But, but you know, it was important and nobody cared. And that was, you know, I, try, I mean, I, that's what I've done all these years is try to make people wake up and say, look, look, this is important. So now it's really important. Very uh, on everybody's radar screen. Yes, yeah, it's everywhere. And, and it's because of you. You have brought it, you brought this to oh, the forefront. Well, of everyone's I think it was going to happen, but I was certainly the first person to create a term called inner ecosystem and explain about this garden, this world within us, that it's there for a purpose. And then honestly, no one even knew or thought to ask the question why is it there and where does it, when does it get, when does it start inside of us? So, you know, and then and around uh, this, eventually, somewhere along the way, I started uh, drawing uh, children with autism uh, to our work and found it worked really well for them. But And now I've gone on and I'm very, very, you know, concerned about that everybody understand about the importance of establishing this inner ecosystem at birth. But honestly, believe it or not, as well known as that is today, no one knew that back then. Yeah. And so, you know, this this is happening. Like everybody's, the baby, you know, comes into the world and everybody's all excited. looks like a really healthy baby. Uh, and then uh, the, the next thing you need to be really aware of is this baby's got to survive in this world. And so he needs an immune system and he needs this healthy gut. And he's got to be able to digest his foods. Uh, and all that is now happening because nature put this inner world in our gut and and we can't live here without it we can't live well without it and and we are now seeing many many examples of what happens when we don't have it there and instead we develop a pathogenic ecosystem um you know so it just all happened and then you know i wanted there to be a time i mean i knew we couldn't continue to eat sugar that's one of the you know, we just had to get rid of sugar. It feeds yeast. And, and that's where I just started saying, look, we got to have something better than sugar. And through a very amazing arrangement, I um, found stevia over in a university in China. The white powder, which was, I thought it was stevia because that's what I asked for, but it was really rubidioside with a little stevia in it. But since they spoke Chinese and not great English and vice versa, I don't speak Chinese. Uh, we had just always called it stevia, but it was really mostly robotia side that, that we had. And so, you know, the body, whole body ecology diet is just um, this whole way of life, and it's more than a diet. It is way, a way of life with very important universal principles. It's just come together. And I think that it's come together because we really need it. We needed this information now uh, because we've been making mistakes for a very long time, and we just can't. We couldn't, we can't survive without this information that we have right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so why don't you tell us about the importance of the gut microbiome and a healthy inner ecosystem and gut? Well, uh, initially it's set into place so we can digest our food, which is mother's milk, hopefully, or some milk, whatever we're eating, we have to be able to digest that. And the, the more you study it, it's just an amazing arrangement. For example, mother's milk is very rich in sugars. Uh, and those sugars literally specifically feed which bacteria should be growing in the baby's gut. And then those bacteria start growing and working together. In the first six weeks, the bifidus are the bacteria that are most prominent. There is no research on this, but from just my clinical experience and working with people, I... I know that these bacteria are powerful cleansers because, um, well, I'm a big believer in doing colon therapy at the right time. Uh, and so what I've noticed, if you put people on a strong bifidus probiotic and they go for colonics, they really release a lot of black sludge. 
that they weren't le releasing before. So I, that makes sense to me that the first bacteria would help clean the baby out because the baby's been eating in the womb. They drink their amniotic fluid. Their, gosh, I saw last night on TV. I was really excited, so I tuned into the news, which I try not to do, but I heard this was going to be on there. And they actually were showing how mothers, uh, if they smoked during the, when the baby was there, the baby literally covers his face and eyes and everything to protect himself from the smoke that's coming into the womb. So the wow. babies are very alert and very awake and aware, you know, when they're in there. And so um, what we're eating, of course, is extremely important. And the um, emotions of the mother and all that, but, but they also know that, because this, is, again, was not available. I was always digging for this kind of information. Is there bacteria in the womb with a baby? And everything, but all research indicated that no, there wasn't. But um, there is. That's that's the newest research, as we know there's actually really bacteria in the placenta. Now, when a mother starts to have a baby, there's a mucus plug there um, at the cervix, and it'll come out about two weeks before she actually goes into labor. And if the mucus plug isn't there anymore, obviously the bacteria in her birth canal are going to be able to come up into that area. So they haven't seemed to catch that point yet. But um, the babies are already beginning to be exposed before birth, is heavily exposed as they pass through the birth canal, or if they're born through a C-section, immediately exposed with the environment of the people in the room and the hospital room and so on. So that's not ideal. Um, maybe they'll have more healthy breathing centers. We're, we're having too many C-sections. Unfortunately, women today are going into labor, they're not healthy, even if they started eating well while they were pregnant, taking care of the baby, they themselves are not all that strong and healthy. So are, we're getting too many young women that are not dilating, and then they do a C-section. So that's not a good exposure. Ideally, the baby needs that breast milk because those specific sugars are feeding for that bacteria. Those sugars also coat the lining of the digestive tract and protect it from, um, you know, code it so that things can't get in through it that might kill the baby, like a virus or another pathogen. So important things, invisible things that we can't see are actually taking place. And, and that's important that we know that because if you start a baby off right, like we're able to do in body ecology with our programs that we have, they're completely different children. They're extremely happy consistently across the board. Every single one is just a delight. They're charming and charismatic and uh, very present in the world, you know, they they take in everything, so they develop, their brain development is ahead of the game, and vocabulary is excellent, uh, amazing vocabulary at a young age, they use language very appropriately. This is because of that gut-brain connection, because, you know, finally, we've evolved to knowing that the gut, which is a big brain by itself, you know, there's a big mass of brain cells and nerves in this region of our body that we think is just our digestive tract. We think it's just the gut. Well, there's a huge lymph system there. Most of the lymph is there. So uh, when we become, when we're toxic, if we have a toxic gut or a leaky gut, then we're going to, uh, the lymph will be toxic as well. And um, so in the, the brain that's there, of course, is connected to the brain in our head and that, you know, the, the whole central nervous system throughout our body, our nerves and everything. So this there's so much awareness of that today, fortunately. But honestly, if you think it through, the command center is the gut. We don't have bacteria you know, in our brain. We have them in our gut. And they're doing really important things. And they're affecting everything about our body, including our brain behavior. So what are people doing today to damage their gut microbiome? I know that's a very, very long list. But can you talk about a few of the things that we're uh, doing? Well, well, I think probably the first thing that would pop into people's mind today would probably be gluten because there's so many, you know, Tom O'Brien with his gluten summit and he's always all over the place. He's a friend of both of ours and he um, he's always out there trying to get people to, aware, to wake up and avoid gluten. And people are avoiding gluten, by the way, but they're still getting crummy food, not, not gut healthy food, that's for sure. But People would probably say gluten first, but actually a high-fat, high-sugar diet um, is also uh, going to destroy the inner ecosystem. Like, like for example, a high-fat diet destroys the bifidus bacteria in your gut and then allows other bacteria like Wadsworthia to spring up and then um, 
The Wadsworthia is a pathogen, so it causes a lot of inflammation. It secretes these toxins that inflame the gut lining. You know, um, so sugar too, high sugar diet, the typical American diet or processed food diet that we all eat and mostly are raised on is very inflammatory to the gut. And, you know, um, so without stress, stress is huge. Infections in the gut like candidiasis are going to cause inflammation and and uh, you know, the, the yeast, for example, develop tentacles and they burrow through the gut wall uh, and then they create inflammation, but they move on into the body that way. Um, you know, I think that, that we're all under stress today, so the gut stays very permeable. Now, it's one thing I think people don't know is that we're born with a leaky gut, all of us are, and that's a good thing. Nature planned it that way so that when we enter the world, the first thing our mother is going to secrete is colostrum for a couple of days. And that colostrum is full of priceless nutrients that are going to help coat the wall, but get into the baby um, to protect the baby because he's now suddenly gone from this relatively protected world to this very potentially dangerously exposed world. And so the immunoglobulins and, uh, you know, the antibodies and peptides and things that are in colostrum go in instantly. And the human baby has a little protection from his mother, um, antibodies from his mother that are protecting him. But most animals will die without that colostrum uh, within the first week. It's a very important first food, which some of us never even get. But that colostrum isn't very sweet in the beginning, and then it becomes a little sweet, and then milk is very sweet. And milk changes all throughout the time the baby's breastfeeding at two months, six months, eight months, and so on. The mother's milk is always changing to feed the baby and to feed the baby's gut microbes in there. So nature's extremely, you know, she's really got this together here. <laughs> and we don't know how to duplicate that real well, so it's best to follow nature's way. But, you know, so, so leaky gut, I always kind of smile when people say leaky gut because it will leak. You know, it will open up at times. And then what you really want is you don't want it open all the time. You don't want it inflamed because that's when those tight junctions now are not together, um, you know, sealed so that pathogenic stuff can't get through. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the first signs of uh, probably that happening and inflammation and opening of those junctions uh, is food allergies and, and feeling sleepy after a meal. Yeah. Are there any other symptoms of leaky gut that people have? Oh, I think many, many symptoms, um, you know, headaches, brain fog, depression. You know, you basically now have a gut that's not functioning, and it's the command center of the body. So it could be aches and pains, um, fatigue, you know, everything. And, of course, you know, you don't have the right bacteria. Now you have the wrong bacteria living inside of you signaling uh, the gut, the wall, you know, the brain, the nerves and everything. But I think, too, you know, you're not, they're not the ones that digest our food efficiently for us. So while this happens at birth, this very, very important process is taking place as we're, as part of the birth process. It, it's, we don't, we're only going to have that happen to us once in our life. We're not going to do that every day. So nature figured that out for us too and made sure that fermentation was alive and well on the planet before we humans and all the other animals got here. So human beings have always been eating things and drinking things that were fermented that allowed bacteria to come into their gut and kept them healthy, gave them a strong immune system and protected them, uh, which is probably the number one job of the, of the gut is to protect us. Yeah. Yeah, just our foods. Yeah, there's a lot of new research. Uh, Dr. Vajdani and other people are doing research mm -hmm. that if people have a leaky gut, you, you have to have leaky gut in order to have an autoimmune disease. Can you talk a little about that? Right. It's, it's just come together. I mean, leaky gut is going to uh, allow pathogenic things into the body instead of healthy, good things. The immune system sees those as foreign invaders and um, then goes awry, seriously awry. It's no longer a balanced immune system. And then it does things like attack places in our body that might be toxic, like our thyroid. The women, uh, Isabella Wentz is a dear friend, and she has a great website on Hashimoto's 
very popular website in her book, you know, she talks about uh, Hashimoto's and 80% of people with thyroid problems today have Hashimoto's as the problem. And that is an autoimmune. That is when your own immune system is attacking your thyroid. Now, why would her body attack any organ? Because it's the immune system's confused and the organ's toxic. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, I have a question one of my listeners asks. Um, what is the best probiotic supplement for those that have a tendency, a tendency towards candida and leaky gut? Well, uh, that's kind of a hard one to answer without going into a bunch of different directions. But, um, you, well, you need a balance and you need diversity. So I would say that very certainly. Um, one of the reasons I think it's very important that we eat fermented foods is because they contain that diversity that you need. So it's great that companies have come out with, you know, strains of probiotics because then you can choose certain specific strains and add them to your gut. We have that ability today. We can do that. But um, nature <laughs> has it all set up for us that let's say you go to your garden, you pick some cabbage and kale and some onions and fennel and mint or something like that, and you bring them in and you shred all that up and you pack it into a jar. And of course, well, we'll come to that in a minute, but every single one of those things has bacteria growing on it and has since the beginning of the life of that plant. So let's say the cabbage, when it was just a tiny little seed, it already had bacteria on it. And then it grew and it eventually became, you know, a big cabbage and it still had bacteria on it. And all those you know, weeks and months of growing, the bacteria began that formed on it began to work together to protect that cabbage. And they are in a very amazing symbiotic relationship with each other. Um, so that is something human beings will never be able to probably ever in our lifetime in any way copy. Yeah. So if you, that's what I always say, if you eat fermented foods, you're getting the wisdom of nature. Uh, then every single one of those has its own, you know, the mint has its uh, bacteria on it. And every single leaf, let's say you had put six or eight leaves of mint in there, well, they all have their own bacteria. So now you mix them all together and you've just got this extraordinary diversity. And when they look at real, those few cultures left on the planet that are still out there, uh, kind of like primitive, early, you know, early primitive man, they have vast amount of diversity in their gut. And most of the bacteria aren't even... They don't have acidophilus and bifidus and the things that we have in our culture, but they are very healthy. And some of the bacteria they have in their gut are actually even ones that would probably even kill us in great numbers. So, you know, you can't beat the way nature does it. You need that diversity. So, but then having said that, the one back, so, so we have probiotic products. We have probiotic liquids that have uh, that diversity in them. We have uh, the, the probiotic liquids that we have, they come from many different grains and chickpeas and rice and quinoa and so on. Uh, we have one even that has from wheat and rye and oats and, and amaranth and stuff. But the thing is, by the time you ferment it, that product is completely gluten-free because nature gets rid of the bacteria, get rid of the gluten, basically, you know, deconstruct it. So they're... Um, but the diversity is amazing, and we can't put on there what's in there because we don't know. Every single yeah. time they make another batch, there's jillions of more bacteria coming in. But we also have starters. You know, we know specifically what are in those starters, like the starter that I like for people to put into the fermented vegetables is plantarum. It's a real special bacteria. So you can add that that way, you know, add a bacteria that way. Or you can go to the store and buy bacteria. And one of the ones that I like, I really kind of, acidophilus is so easy to get in food sources, particularly with our products too, and in food. Uh, it's, you know, it's on very pr prominent on plant foods. But what you can't get are the bifidus bacteria. So if somebody's going to have something uh, by, you know, the, let's say they only have so much money to spend, I would send them to a product like Flora Baby which is by Renew Life, and it's all bifidus. It comes in a powder, and obviously, from the name, you can tell it was created for babies. But we need the, the bifidus, too. A lot of people that are constipated will find their constipation improves quickly uh, on bifidus bacteria. And there's just a lot of research on the different strains of bifidus. Um, 
And one of the things I'm into is nutritional genomics, big time. And I study, look at people's genes, and I always check a gene called the FUT2 gene, F-U-T-2. Many people that have gut problems were born, obviously they're born with the gene, so they're born with um, that gene not working, and they will their their um, their their blood sugar, like if they're an A or they're an O, uh, whatever blood type they are. We have our blood has sugar in it, uh, sugar molecules. So I'm an A. So I secrete my A blood sugar into my certain places in my body, and it would be your gut, mucus, the mucus of your gut, into your uh, sweat and your tears and into your mouth, your saliva. So that's where the sugars show up. If you're a secretor, if you're uh, if you've got food too, snap a problem there. You're not a non-secretor, so you're not secreting your sugars into your gut mucus or your mouth uh, or tears. You know, mouth it's important because that means you're not feeding the bacteria in your mouth. You're not feeding bacteria in your gut, um, the bifidus bacteria, the ones that don't get fed. Now go back to the very beginning of someone's life when they're entering this world where bifidus is the most important bacteria at the beginning of life. Those people do not get a healthy inner ecosystem set up, even if they're breastfed. So the, it's going to be the thing in the very immediate future, really. You can test for this now. And uh, you will want to know this. If you're a mother and you're a non-secretor and you just choose to breastfeed, then your baby is not, you're not going to secrete your milk sugars into your breast milk either. So there's so many fascinating things to know and learn about the gut, but it comes down into the fact that we do have a gut with an inner ecosystem and we need a diversity of bacteria. And the bifidus is the one that's most likely going to be low. Um, And sometimes you'll get tested and your acidophilus bacteria seem too high, but that's because they're out of balance and you need more bifidus to bring them into balance. Mm -hmm. It's just another part of our body where balance is, you know, the principle of balance is really, really important. Well, let's say you have a person that has, you know, pretty bad gut issues and they don't tolerate histamine foods very well. How do you heal the gut if you have a histamine intolerance and you can't eat high histamine foods like fermented foods? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I like to clarify that. Um, I first got into the understanding of this with our our autism. You know, that's where you learn an amazing amount of stuff if you study autism. So um, what I found was that uh, there were kids that, you know, they would eat the fermented foods and their ears would get red and their face would flush and their mother would say, well, he just can't do these foods. And I think, why? Why just them and everybody else flourishing on them? And, you know, it's an important part of the recovery for most of them. And so I got with my friend, Dr. Leonard Smith, and we started digging and digging and digging. And we started to find little bits of information. But basically, it is a histamine reaction because they have a pathogen in their gut, in the small intestine. So if that's happening to you, use it as kind of a diagnosis that you have... um, you know, that something's wrong there. A pathogen is entered into the small intestine or the colon that is causing a problem, and you want to get rid of that first. Now, that's where the step-by-step principle comes in that we we teach about is, you know, first you can't do, I mean, you can't do this until sometimes you do this first, and that's an example. You want to wipe that pathogen out. You know, there are different ways to do that on our healthy gut cement, uh, which was, a very successful summit that we did a few months ago. Um, I interviewed Allison Seebecker, and you can go to her website. It's S-I-E-B-E-C-K-E-R. She talks about, that's her specialty, is SIBO. Mm. There are um, certain antibiotics like rifaximin that will wipe it out. And I have no qualms anymore about taking antibiotics because you want to get rid of this nasty little pathogen. And then, then you restore your um, inner ecosystem, but you're going to have a hard time doing it if he's there controlling everything, so wipe him out. Yeah. But, there, uh, be, but rifaximin is the last thing I would do. There are other choices. I recommend a combination of berberine, and, uh, which is wonderful, or, or berberine, with um, oil of oregano capsules. And you have to be pretty aggressive, like take three about four times a day. You just have to keep after it on an empty stomach. You can use the enzyme serapeptidase to um, 
And then the bifidus bacteria are the one bacteria that you can take during that time. They do not cause that reaction. It's really the acidophilus that the people are reacting to. When you're doing a candida or a parasite or a gut bacteria SIBO cleanses, can mm-hmm. you take probiotics with some of these natural antibiotics, or how do you work that out? Yeah, that's a good question, too. Um, you, um, let's say that you're in the vast number of people that can eat the cultured vegetables, um, and you're on an antibiotic, absolutely eat them. I had a mother uh, who had three children on the autism spectrum, and they're all recovered now, but her son... Uh, was really skinny and it looked like he'd been in a concentration camp for his whole life and I was with her at a conference and she mentioned that he had some kind of pathogen in his gut and I said well Wendy just wipe it out I mean just use put him in antibiotics she said oh no 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 then his yeast infection will get really bad and she'd been you know dealing with his yeast infection for years to get him well and so she didn't want to go down that road again and so I realized that people think that automatically that that the antibiotics cause a yeast infection, but the prevention for the antibiotics is to eat the fermented foods, particularly the way we teach people to make them. So you're going to take your antibiotic and, like, you know, away from everything. And then, uh, or if it says take it with food, you can take it with food. But then later on, come back with a spoonful of fermented vegetables um, because the antibiotic wants to kill things, but the, there's so many trillions of bacteria in a spoonful or two of fermented vegetables that they can't kill them all and uh, they'll remain. And then the the technique that I developed for making the vegetables extra robust and powerful is to put the starter in it. And Plantera, that's bacteria that I mentioned, is amazing bacteria. It's um, It, it survives most all antibiotics, so you're not going to wipe the Plantera out. Uh, it's an antihistamine uh, this is research on all, all of these things I'm seeing. So it's also um, one that will help you not have histamine reactions in the gut to foods. That's a, uh, so the histamine is a reaction to the food, like an allergy reaction. Um, and then it's also antiviral, like if you have a tendency to, you know, have breakouts of herpes all the time, Epstein-Barr and so on. If you're going through a bout of shingles, definitely eat these, these vegetables with the plantarum. And I would say, oh, and it's an oxalate eater. You know, people don't know about oxalates, but it's a serious problem. And they're getting way too many oxalates. And, and Plantarum eats the oxalates that we need to, they need to be eaten up so we can eat plant foods safely. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I have a few clients with oxalates that we're addressing. And it's, it's a big issue. It's a, anyone with pain syndromes or kidney stones or anything, have, have oxalates. Um, yeah, pain, like lots of pain, pain in the legs in particular dry eye, um, and COPD. Um, There's so many things that clear up when people lower the oxalates, like go up all the high oxalate foods like chocolate, uh, which is popular, (laughs) spinach. People are putting spinach in their almond smoothies. So nuts and seeds are extremely high in oxalate. Sweet potatoes, which I know a lot of paleo people are now eating to get a little resistant starch. But again, you know, if you're going to have a sweet potato, what I tell people to do, so food preparation is always important. So let's say you love sweet potatoes and they are actually better for O's, blood type O than, than the other potatoes are. So let's say that they, you want to eat one instead of baking it in the oven where it's going to be very sweet. If you would instead cut it into cubes and put it in water and uh, boil it until it's tender. Then you pour off that water. You just poured a bunch of oxalates down the drain. Mm. Now you can mash it, put a little ghee or butter in there, MCT oil, whatever you want, and then um, salt, of course, you know. And then enjoy it that way, but you just got rid of a whole bunch of oxalates. And you've also reduced the way by cooking it that way. You don't have a lot of sugar. Then you come along and you have something fermented in the meal, like a little glass of um, one of our probiotics or few ounces of that or a few scoops of fermented vegetables with a plantarum in it and they're going to eat any oxalates in that meal right up. Oh. So there's a way to make balance. See, that's the principle of balance at work. You could look at something and see that indeed, you know, there's a problem with this food because all foods have their front and back. And then you can think, well, okay, how do I balance that? And there will be a balance most all the time. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about your book. This is what I want to talk about is your new cookbook, The Body Ecology Living oh, Cookbook. Great. Let's talk a little yes. bit about that. And can you tell us um, how your cookbook came about? Well, I have a copy of it. I don't know if it's going to show for the camera. Does it show? Yes, yes. Okay. Anyway, it came about over many, a couple of decades of just putting recipes into my into my computer and thinking someday I'm going to do a cookbook and people saying, are you ever going to do a cookbook? So finally about, believe it or not, two years ago, we started it because it is a lot of work to do a cookbook. It's so detail oriented, you know, and and I'm not, I mean, I'm detail oriented. I'm overly detail oriented, but it still drives me crazy. So it was like the book that would never, ever come to an end, checking yeah. it, checking it. <laughs> yeah. There's a million ways a cookbook can have a mistake in it. But it has a lot of information. It's not just a cookbook. I've really, it's got the most updated information, updated information on body ecology. Because body ecology is really a living system of health and healing. I, You know, we're always learning more. I'm certainly learning more. And there are a few things along the way I would change. If they are, I change them because I want people to be aware of them. Um, so it's, it's more than a cookbook, but it's got really good recipes. I always forget to tell people, by the way, our food is delicious, not just healthy. Yes. <laughs> it happens to be really delicious. It's beautiful and colorful. When people come over, um, they know they're going to get a body ecology meal in my house, but I think they're almost always surprised at how delicious it is and pretty and full of different textures and colors and new tastes that maybe they haven't tried before. But I always try to give people little taste about something unusual like a sea vegetable that they didn't they didn't know about I mean they don't know about sea vegetables at all yeah 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 so why don't you talk about the the seven body ecology principles that you talk about in the cookbook um well the probably the most important one right now I mean they're all important but the principle of uniqueness because there's a lot of um Somebody's scratching on my leg. Hold on a second. <laughs> I hope your dog <laughs> like wants to get up and have invited into our call, yeah. conversation here. But sweet. he's okay. so cute. And uh, he seems very, I don't know, persistent here. He's yeah. annoying me. But um, okay, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have my dogs locked in the bathroom. They're prisoners. I do, yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess many people have dogs they don't mind <laughs> our interruption. Um, so the principle of uniqueness is really important. But I think finally, uh, honestly, years ago, no one ever, ever mentioned that we were unique. If people were into macro, they thought we should all be macrobiotic. If they were raw, they thought we should all be raw. And, you know, it's just there's even times where we have to change. Like if you have cancer, a raw, vegan, totally sugar-free, high in fermented food diets, um, gluten-free, casein-free, and sugar-free would be where I would start you. But what I've even found is that uh, when someone's on a diet like that, uh, they actually do really well on raw fermented kefir, like goat milk kefir. So they can have that as a source of protein for them. Um, and then let's say somebody's pregnant. Well, gosh, that's a whole different thing. Now you're eating for two people and you need uh, more of, you know, more minerals, more fats in your diet. Uh, the baby's going through different, you know, develop, stages of development in the womb. It's a very different diet. So it's ridiculous to sort of come up with this concept. And when you tell someone that, that we should all, we should all be paleo, we should all be raw that's ridiculous and when you think about it it sounds ridiculous but honestly that's what we've been doing for ages now i'm seeing lots of functional medicine doctors and other people saying we have to change and and you know you might have cancer right now and next year it's you're free cancer free so you don't have to stay on that same diet let's say you live in chicago and you're thinking you're on a raw vegan diet because you had cancer well if you're freezing up there in chicago You've got to bring some warm cooked foods into your diet. So we're always changing. The weather changes. Um, our activity changes. So the important thing that I'm hoping eventually people will be interested in learning is how to look at a food and decide, you know, this one would be appropriate for this condition, but not for this condition. And it isn't digestible, so we can do this to make it digestible. Or whatever, you know, and, and so we start to look at foods individually. And that's really, if you want to go, you know, people say food is medicine, they'll never be able to 
do that, to use food as medicine, unless they understand how to do that, where they know the food, know its front and back, positive and negative side, and fix the negative side, like balance it. That's the principle of balance. Whatever's wrong, you have to look at what's wrong and think, okay, how can I balance that off? And most of the time there is something that will bring balance either to that food itself or to the meal to balance it off. So what are some of your favorite recipes in the cookbook? Because I was looking through it, and you've got so many good recipes. Uh, what are some of your favorites? Um, um, let's see. <laughs> well, I think in the beginning, if people really have gut problems, they'll find a lot of benefit from the pureed soups. Uh, I don't think I have a favorite because it depends on a person's needs. Let's say... You are in, on, into desserts, and you're not. You just know you can't give them up. So I would suggest people start on making the fermented vegetables, and they're sour. And so what you'll find, surprisingly, as you eat them or drink the fermented coconut water, suddenly so, sugar is not so important to you, and you don't need it. So you can really be perfectly satisfied in a glass of water with lemon and some stevia in it. Then your brain thinks it got something sweet and you're fine. Uh, so I, I think the fermented foods are really important, that whole section on those. But um, if you want to get more minerals into your body, then you want dark green leafy vegetables. We have a great uh, powder called Super Spirulina Plus. It's very rich in iron. You, you would be amazed at how many people are deficient in iron today. But you don't want to take iron as a supplement because it'll feed the can, any infections growing that can't candidiasis it'll feed it will feed cancer so you don't want to take the iron but if you get it from foods like dark green leafy vegetables for a minute spirulina it's a great way to build it back up and then the sea vegetables are fantastic for getting more minerals in i wish everybody would make one or two dishes a week and work that into their diet or at least put a strip of kombu into some water with maybe some shiitake mushrooms and boil that <laughs> And, you know, get the, the energy of that, the minerals out of that kombu and then put that in things like make a soup out of it or drink it or a broth or something. Um, so that they're important to um, lots and lots of vegetables. I, I break the book up into sections so that people can understand that food combining really does matter. Now, if you're super strong, young athlete, digestion works great, then don't food combine if you don't want but if you have digestive problems, food combining is a very important principle because um, your, your gut, your body just can't, it doesn't digest. The stomach's not working. <clears throat> the small intestine's not going to process that food like it's supposed to. The colon has destroyed all that undigested food. So you want to help your, you want to help your digestive tract out by chewing really, really well swallowing, using digestive enzymes, but also food combining. So you put your protein with your vegetables, non-starchy vegetables. And so I have the book divided that way, like non-starchy vegetables, starchy vegetables. They're really good to have in the evening because that they will help us sleep better at night because they may help us make more serotonin and then we make more melatonin. So I talk about all this throughout the book, but... Um, you know, so the principles are in the book. You know, it's understanding the principles of balance are woven into the recipes. You don't really even need to know those if you just pick a recipe or two and have that for dinner. Uh, and they are delicious. But, you know, I think that the dessert section is really important because we use stevia and Lakanto, um, that uh, you do have to get off of sugar. Yeah. And we have a lot of really delicious recipes for that, too. Yeah, I actually taught a class uh, on how to make fermented vegetables, uh, but I had to watch your videos a few times <laughs> before I could teach the class. Oh. Um, but I, I used your your body ecology culture starter, and uh, it was great. We made just tons and tons of all kinds of recipes: purple cabbage and um, uh, some sort of, some sort of seed, and uh, fermented kimchi with black sesame seeds. All kinds of wonderful. Oh, it sounds delicious. Well, you know that's important to know is that there's sauerkraut which I stopped using that term years ago because people would go in the store and buy pasteurized yeah. you know, cabbage in a jar. And I thought, this is not what we need. So I changed it to cultured vegetables or fermented vegetables. But um, sauerkraut, you can buy it in the store. Goldmine makes a really good one. Um, they, um, they're just really, really just mostly cabbage or cabbage and garlic, 
maybe caraway seeds or something. But, you know, over the years of doing this, I, I like the variety of many other vegetables. I also found in a research study, believe it or not, that the bacteria love anise, that spice, over caraway. Mm. So I have a recipe where I put in um, cabbage and onion and anise. I think that's all that's in there. And, um, and it's so delicious. It's not much. It's easy, like an easy beginner one, but they love that. Now, it's important to know, think about the bacteria that you're growing. You know, you're, okay, so a lot of us can't garden. Like, there's nowhere around me that I could garden. But this is my substitute. So I'm thinking, okay, we've got these little bacteria in here. When I'm, what will I do to take care of them, and how can I help them grow and multiply? So the first thing I recently had are uh, some vegetables, exactly the same batch, with our starter and without our starter. And with our starter, they had... Oh, well, this count was 160 billion in every per spoonful. And this one was 570 billion because wow. we'd added the plantarum starter to it. So that's one thing. But then I mean, you can, you can add a starter. But the other thing is if you add humic minerals, which we sell you know, humic minerals, and you can open them up and put them in the brine. Um, they love humic minerals. I mean, it's just like chocolate would be to many people. Yeah. And they just, if they're if they all excited and peppy and they're, they're eating like crazy and there's plenty of food for them, they're going to multiply out, way, way out. So we put in more to begin with and then we, we, we give them food. We put in chicory, something called echo bloom, which is chicory inulin. They love that. That particularly feeds the bifidus bacteria that might be in the batch. And, um, you know, some people put a little few ounces of one of our probiotic liquids in there. Um, does change the taste. I never do that myself, but you could do that. So think, think in terms of that, too. Think in terms of starting to make your fermented vegetables way more robust and hearty with bacteria. Because we can do that with fermented foods. They can't do that in a probiotic capsule because as soon as they make it, it starts a bunch of them start dying. They aren't reproducing in that capsule, but they are reproducing while you're fermenting. Then after fermentation, you put them in the refrigerator to slow all that down, and they're still in there eating away. And but unfortunately, some they begin to die. You know, little by little, different ones. There's not enough food for them, and they die off, and they're not reproducing. So, um, you know, I, I really encourage people to try to make a fresh batch every say three months or so, and you'll have plenty of bacteria in your. Um, you know, in your food to put into your into your gut, into your garden, inner garden. How often should people eat fermented vegetables? Well, they help digest the meal. So if you're having a meal, like let's say you're just having a smoothie. I, I don't put the cultured vegetables in my smoothie, but you could. It would make them more savory. You know, if you're somebody who wants a savory smoothie, for sure put them in there. Uh, but if you, you know, drinking something pureed, like a smoothie, it's going to digest really easily. A bone broth would digest really easily. But um, but anything other time where you need assistance for digestion, a regular meal, definitely, you know, put them on top of, I mean, let's say you're still out there eating hamburgers. Well, put them on top of your hamburger, yeah. like a pickle. You know how McDonald's puts a pickle on the top? Yeah. So, um, sorry for the dog. That's but, okay. <laughs> So, um, yeah, yeah, eat them all the time. And think about this. You know, if you eat them with a meal, they're traveling down your, through your digestive tract. They're in the stomach and the small intestine and the large intestine. And they're right there with the food. And they're breaking it down, extracting the minerals, uh, breaking down those proteins and those fats. So they're helping with digestion. And then they're in the food. So they're going to look for parasites. They're going to look for heavy metals eggs, larvae, things like that, that we don't want to grow inside of us. That's their job too. They're scavengers of bad things. And I've even had experts having, you know, in, that um, help people chelate out the uh, heavy metals say that when people are eating the fermented foods, um, because, you know, even if you're going through a chelation program and you're, you're pulling these heavy metals out of your body, they're going to end up in the gut. They go through the liver, they end up in the gut. And you want those bacteria there, you know, holding them into check, make sure that they leave when they leave. So they're really, really important. And again, I, I just can't seem to get people to understand their importance, but, and maybe people don't care to understand. But I think if they start eating them, they'll notice they feel better, they'll have more energy, they, 
digest their food better. Um, they definitely make you happier. The first fermented food I ever worked with was milk kefir. And I know people can't do milk, so I created the coconut kefir with the same concept of using the starter and all. But you know, a lot of people, millions of people around the world do yogurt, so a lot of people can do kefir, and kefir is better for you than yogurt. But, um, you know, the word kefir in Turkish means feel good. Is it, Tur- it came from Turkey. Kefir came from Turkey. It's a Turkish word, and it means feel good. And honestly, they do really make you feel good. So you want to put them in there and feel better. Now, if you're still feeling super, super depressed, there could be food isn't everything, by the way. You know, some people think food is always the issue. Like use histamine, for example. Someone eats the fermented foods and they they have a lot of gas and bloating and histamine type reaction. Then they immediately say, oh, bad food. Yeah. And I've seen the mothers do this years ago when I put butter into the program, our bedrock program for the autistic kids. Um, you know, they um, they would eat the butter. And most all of them thrived on it because they didn't get breast milk. They had soy, soy formula, and they uh, they need that milk, that, that fat that they would have gotten in the breast milk. So it's in the program. And so they thrive on it, and their brains are still developing and so on. But uh, then along comes a mother who will email in, and she says, my son can't do the butter, like bad butter. Yeah, It's not the butter's fault. It's just being butter. But what's wrong is there's something in, happening in her son. Maybe his liver can't handle that kind of fat or it's way too much. He should back off and fix the gut first, step by step. And then try the butter. Try ghee over butter because the ghee's, you know, has the milk solids removed from it and is easier to digest. And just use a tiny amount uh, and let the See, and that's another thing, too. When we introduce new foods, we've got to give the gut bacteria time to, to learn how to digest that food because they have to reorganize themselves and say, oh, wait, last week she was a meat eater. Now she's going vegan. And uh, let's, what do we do, guys? And, you know, they got to figure that out and change their whole approach down there so they can start to digest these new foods that you've suddenly thrown down their way. So, um, you know, they're... I consider them highly intelligent and you should realize like, for example, if you have a fish tank or a little dog to take care of, you know, add them to your list and think about taking care of the bacteria inside of you too. Of course, we've got them on our skin and everywhere up in our nasal passages and uh, lungs and everything or anywhere there's an opening to the outside. We have bacteria inside of us. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for all the germaphobes that <laughs> that uh, are so afraid of bacteria because we're covered in them and they're good. There's many good bacteria that we need. And, you know, that the thing is, it's a good and bad thing. We can't see them. It's a really good thing that we can't because we like for you, example, Wendy, I couldn't see you. You just look like this shape. No, I couldn't see what color your hair was, your lips or eyes or any shape like that. You just be this squirming little wiggly blob. Yeah. And uh, how would I recognize you? How would I be able to identify a beautiful flower or something? So we were fortunately not our eyes can't see them. Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, we, we always think if we can't see it, it must not be there. When in fact, a lot of things we can't see are present energy, for example. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your gut summit? Uh, I was a big fan of this gut summit. I think it, it's so important. And can you ta- tell us a little bit about some of the, the guests that were, were at the summit, what they were talking about? Um, well, not every single one talked about the gut, but most, you know, 98% of them did, I'd say. Um, Dr. Jeffrey Bland talked about his new book who had come out and about functional medicine. And he did talk a little bit about the gut, but the rest of them are completely focused on things like the biofilms, you know, like bacteria don't just, they're not just loosely walk, you know, floating around inside of us or in our gut. As soon as they bump into another bacteria and another one and and then another one, they get together and say, hey, let's protect ourselves here. And they form a little wall around themselves called a biofilm. And then you can't get to them anymore. Antibiotics don't work and so on. So the Stephen Olmsted's talk on biofilm is really important to know. Uh, by the way, fermented vegetables and healthy bacteria can dissolve the biofilms and some other things can. Um, gosh, well, uh, so many I can't remember. Um, 
I do. I will say this though, over and over and over again, when I'd hang up the interview, hang up from talking to them, I was always struck by how much these people cared. Leo Gallen talked about parasites. He's been dealing with parasites for over 30 years. And Louise Gittleman gave a brilliant talk on parasites and said so did another man on the rope parasite, which is a new emerging parasite that we didn't see before. But now many people, even little children, are finding, you know, like in the autism community, their parents do enemas and they're getting these ropeworms out of these out of their little children. So where are they coming from? My Jeffrey Smith was on. He gave an absolutely brilliant talk on GMOs. And I kind of thought we might run out of things to say about GMOs in the gut. And I was just like awed. I was stunned by his talk. And then Dr. Karazian, who's a brilliant genius, gave a great talk on the gut-brain connection. Martha Herbert, also gut-brain. Um, it just was an amazing cast of characters. And, you know, it's a field, of course, that I know more about than like fixing my computer. I don't know too much about that. But so I, I guess really what I didn't realize I was doing was asking pretty high level questions. They, they were very high level guests. And then the questions that I thought to ask them really allowed them to provide a lot of information. I remember often as they hung up, they said, wow, I love doing that interview because they got to express things that were important that they wanted out. And then, of course, once the Gut Summit launched, we were just inundated and our sponsors were just packed with people calling them to thank them for the sponsors. Nobody expected that. We had over 80,000 people sign up. Wow. And many people said they'd never heard this kind of information before and it was helping them so much. And it kind of like getting a PhD in the gut. And, And amazingly, I talked to a woman yesterday who has a 30, let's say a 24 year old son with autism and she's, you know, wanting to take him further and all, but she had listened to every single one of those talks. And I was, I have to give people credit um, that, that we're, so many of us are out there devoted to this work and what we do and the gut, you know, like fix the gut, fix the gut, people are saying. And then, you know, if you fix the gut, so many things that we think are wrong with us, fix themselves or begin to fix themselves. Yeah. Well, you listeners, if you want to learn more and attend the Gut Summit, there's a link for it below in the, the podcast or the YouTube channel. There'll be a link to go to the, the Healthy Gut Summit. But, Doctor, I'm sorry, uh, Donna, I'm so, so excited that you came on the podcast. Um, I'm just uh, thrilled that you agreed to come on. And do you want to tell the listeners any more uh, you know, about yourself and where they can find you? We're just, we're at bodyecology.com. We're pretty easy to find. I guess the, the, the book isn't out yet. It will be out shortly. Um, about 50 people have copies of the book because I signed them and gave them away at the expo. But uh, we're going to launch it soon. And um, so I hope people will, you know, come back and get that when, when we launch it. But um, no, just, um, I do think the Gut Summit is one of the best things we've ever done because it's there's so many experts participating uh, and, you'll, you know, uh, the other thing that really shocked me, I didn't even ask for this, believe me, is over and over and over again, they, um, they you know, they commented on my own work and the, the fact that I've been out there for a long time trying to make a difference in the world. And they knew who I was and knew about body ecology. And many of them ate fermented foods. I, I maybe would have to say, hey, Mark Hyman, do you, do you eat fermented foods? He said, oh, I ate them all the time. But, you know, he doesn't, he isn't um, out there. Oh, Todd Lapine talked, Todd Lapine is a partner in, with Mark, Mark Hyman. And Todd talked about um, the mouth, the microbiome in the mouth. He's a lot of family and the effect that has on pregnancy and all. You know, he has a, his whole family is dentists. It was just a great, great summit. I'd love for people to, you know, still go and listen to it because it's just amazing information. We are always updating our information. So hopefully they'll stay, you know, connected to us as much as they can. And um, Wendy, I'm going to have you on a podcast. So now we'll get to turn this around and I get to ask you questions. Yeah, I would love that. I'd be honored. Well, Donna, thank you so much for coming on my show. I really appreciate it. I know all the listeners were really, really excited when I told them that you were coming on. So, again, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, Wendy, thank you. I loved it when we met each other, immediate connection there. And, 
We live so close. It's silly that we aren't together more often. If you live, if, if I lived there in San Diego, you lived here in LA, we would be. But at least, thank you. We can work together this way. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, thanks you so much for listening to the Live to One Ten podcast. You can find me on live to one ten dot com. And thanks for listening. <laughs>